This is The Drive Podcast with Josh Graham. Welcome to the internet, my friend. How can I help you? Check out The Drive weekday afternoons at 3 on WSJS Sports. Glad to have you on a Wednesday drive, where in case you forgot that John Shire's now officially the coach at Duke, it feels like there's about a half dozen feature stories today that are reminding you of that. Saw one in Sports Illustrated, The Athletic, The News and Observer. I think there's another one that I mentioned, The Athletic and The New York Times. Yeah, there are a lot of them. And the most common questions that are being asked of Shire right now are, can he reach the same Mark Hubert just did in year one? And how about this? Will Duke be as hated as a brand under Shire as it's been under Mike Krzyzewski? The latter question is what I'm more intrigued by today because I don't think Duke's nearly going to be hated as much. And that's a good thing for Duke. In fact, here's a marketing idea for Shire right off the bat here. A slogan that should be put in royal blue on hats, on shirts, and blasted everywhere. Make Duke basketball normal again. They could be just as good and competitive nationally. It's crazy to think that before Coach K, they were playing basketball in Durham. And they played it pretty well. Vic Bubis was a coach in the 60s that made it to the Final Four and a couple years before Krzyzewski arrived, Bill Foster did the same thing. So you can win at Duke without being this hated punching bag that's polarizing. That should be what Shire strives for. He should model his program like Villanova has, rather than trying to recreate Kay's approach that kind of postures Duke as this overseer of college basketball sitting in an ivory tower Kay is the king, and now John Shire is taking over the crown after being the prince for the last eight years. I don't know if that's what Shire wants this program to be. I can tell you, as somebody who follows basketball closely in this state and a lot of people who follow across the country, I don't think they'd like that. You got this handsome coach. You're a small Catholic school. A small private school, I should say. Villanova. Pretty much has that. Jay, Jay Wright, he's a handsome guy. Small Catholic school. They play basketball. Great brand, and they win a lot. Won a couple national titles over the last six or seven years. A couple more since the last time Dukes won it. And here's the thing. Nobody really hates Villanova. I guess the teams that used to play in the palestra together might dislike Nova. Maybe LaSalle. Or any of those types, Drexel probably does not care much for Villanova. But Duke does not have to be the black cat any longer under Shire. I believe, and I could be wrong, if you're a Carolina fan or a Wake fan or a State fan or a fan of anybody other than Duke and have a thought on this, I'd love to hear from you. Is your hatred of Duke, is the hatred in general, more a result, a more a byproduct of Coach K's presence or just Duke as a brand altogether? It's hard to separate the two because they've been pretty much intertwined our entire lives. For the last 42 years, that's been the case. But now that's no longer the deal. It's John Shire. 
And what do we have to really hate John Shire for? He needs to be more accessible. It might not sound like an important thing to you, but marketing matters. Your media presence matters. That's the way people follow you. The media is a liaison between the fan and the program. So what you do in the media matters. And Coach K was not a very accessible coach. Case in point example, the halftime interviews. He was the only one not to do it during the season. I remember asking my dad when I was a kid, why doesn't K do those interviews? He says he doesn't want to, son. Well, why does everybody else do them? I don't know. And it made it seem like Coach K, he's just above it. And that rightfully rubbed people the wrong way. This farewell tour made it seem like it wasn't about Duke basketball. It was about Coach K, even though that probably wasn't the intent, if I'm being fair to Duke. I think it was about winning. I think it was about setting things up long-term. I buy what Coach K was selling, but that doesn't mean that's how it was perceived. Press conferences. Do more than just two during the season in person. Coach K, that's all you do before the Carolina games. Yeah, I'll talk to you guys then. Hubert Davis does one every single week in person so we can get to know the guy, which makes it a lot easier to tell a story. Do TV interviews, local TV, and local radio rather than just exclusively national media. I remember one of the top PR guys at Duke told me when I first arrived and I asked for Coach K to come on my show, oh, you know, Coach K only really focuses on the national outlets. He doesn't really do local radio. And I wonder how much of that is K versus it's how much the people he surrounds himself with. Because when I finally got the message through to K that I wanted him to come on in Greensboro, guess what he did? He sat down with me when I didn't expect him to and spent 30 minutes with us. And he was awesome. And it was appreciated. You know, that's the stuff. It humanizes you. That stuff matters. It allows for basketball fans to see a side of you that you don't see sitting there in press conferences after wins or losses. It allows for people to connect with you. It'll be fascinating to see what changes over there, whether or not he decides to alter the atmosphere at all. Maybe try to veer away from things that are so closely tied to the name Shashevsky. This is from the Michael Rosenberg story at SI this morning. Shire will report to Coach K Court. Students will presumably still camp out in Shashevskyville. But here's an alternative. Quote, Shytown, says Shire, a Chicago native. Quote, we're going to have one person who wants to go to Shytown. End quote. From a distance, replacing Shashevsky seems impossible. Up close, it looks harder. Shire must fill more than Krzyzewski's job. Somehow, he must also replace his presence. How would Coach K feel if they took out the Krzyzewskiville sign and said, well, this is now Shytown, which is a much better name, by the way. Would K be cool with that? I don't know. You could keep the all-time wins banner in the stadium, and it's still going to be called Coach K Court, What's going to connect the current coach to the place that he is coaching? The current coach is John Shire. What else do you change? Style of play, what's it going to look like? Again, from the story, 
Shire is renovating anything in the program that he wants to. He plans to tweak the offense in many ways that he says will be noticeable. He has continued Duke's recent philosophy of recruiting a new class of elite athletes every year, but Shire is increasing the emphasis on players who feel the need or have a feel for the game like he did. Passers, cutters, guys with court vision who easily blend in with others. So it might be smaller lineups that you see at Duke. Even though the team that he has coming in next year, it might be the best front line we've seen in college basketball in years. But beyond that, what's it going to look like? Is John Shire going to make similar changes that Hubert Davis made when he took over? Roy Williams, the way that he handled players coming off the bench in the rotation, a lot different than the way Hubert handled it. And Hubert was right this year with how he handled it. Roy Williams would never have a guy like Brady Manick on his team playing the way that Brady played. Hubert Davis did, and it worked. What will Shire do that is John Shire's identity? not Coach K's. Other things in the arena. Do you change every time we touch, Robert? Do you touch that? Because it's been about 20 years since that song came out. It's been a Duke anthem for about 15. I identify that song with Coach K dancing around, doing his thing. He says it's his favorite song now. Do you shift it up? I I remember having uh, Ninth Wonder on, the legendary hip-hop radio producer or hip-hop music producer. And... He's a huge Duke fan. He's from Winston-Salem. He said, I talked with Shire about this. I said, hey, if you want to work in some new music, you let me know. And Fat Joe, he's a huge Duke fan. I've seen him at games. Figure something out. Do something different. Hubert Davis decided to bring in BDOT. Might sound like a small thing, but it changed the atmosphere and the environment in that arena. And I know that's something that Hubert talked about with some of the people around him. He wanted to have his own imprint on the program. And that's also the type of building that you want to have, the type of environment you want to have. Will Shire change that at all? It's a fascinating thing to me. It should be a slogan that Duke puts out there. Make Duke basketball normal again. That's what I think John Shire should aspire to. On Twitter at WSJS Sports, 336-777-1600 is the phone number if you'd like in that way. Robert Walsh is the producer of this show. Let's go to Colby in Greensboro, who's with us. He wants in on the Tar Heels. Maybe we could get to the Heels in just a bit. Colby, I'm told you're an aspiring sports radio host. Do I got that right? Uh, Can you hear me? Yeah, what's up, Colby? Uh, Yes, uh, I am an aspiring uh, sports radio host. Good to have you. What do you have? Well, um, I'm not really wanting to uh, necessarily talk about the Tar Heels, but more of how good does it feel that they lost? Like, I'm a, I am a diehard NC State fan, but uh, I have uh, ties, family ties to Duke basketball. My aunt is the uh, player and media relations assistant there. She also works with Coach K and now will work with uh, John Shire. So I grew up also liking Duke basketball, but when people ask me who do I cheer for when State and Duke play each other, I cheer for State, of course. Sure. But I'm Duke basketball all the way, other than that. Um, it just felt good on Monday to get the you know last lap. Mm-hmm. Uh, they lost. 
There you go. And very embarrassing. Uh, I know you say that the 16-point comeback isn't something that to be looked at as historically bad, yeah. but it's 16 points. All right. Well, it, I, I, I hear you, Kobe. And, you know, NC State fans, after last week, I'm glad you got something to feel good about just because you – Called a bad break with the women's tournament having to play UConn essentially in their backyard. And NC State baseball a year ago, women's hoops, was really something you banked on. And it was really tough watching them have to labor through a double overtime and play a game essentially on the road. The men's team struggling the way they did in football. They beat Clemson, but NC State stuff striking again not even getting to Charlotte for the ACC championship game. I appreciate the call, Colby. Best of luck in your aspiring sports radio career. Let's go to Mark in Greensboro. Mark, is Duke, am I on to something here? Can Duke be hated? Can you put the genie back in the bottle? Can you? Can Duke not be hated, I guess? Well, first, much like a comedy show, I have to comment on your boy Colby there. Dude, if you're still listening, uh, how many mental gymnastics did you have to go through to to kind of make yourself feel good about a state or Hey, or come on. Let the state fans have it, Mark. Don't don't dunk on good state Lord. fans. Have have a little bit of uh a little bit of compassion is what I would advise. No, what do you have for no, me to do? No. I I think uh dude, there's absolutely no way that Duke won't ever will ever end up being like a Villanova or not be hated. You can't you can't put all of the the residue of Coach K back in the bottle. There's absolutely, that's a great way to put it. The genie cannot be put back in the bottle. I've hated Duke since I was nine years old. <laughs> I am not going to not hate them because there's a different person coaching. Think about the people that hate like Indiana basketball or UCLA. Those, those great coaches have been gone for, for decades. And there are still people who hate them. You know, when people will stop hating Duke, and this is something that maybe your boy Colby and all the Carolina fans would love is when they stop winning. Winning makes them people hate them, not the person that's doing it. Coach K, I'm sure, is a wonderful man. I, personally, I don't hate him because of who he is as a person. I just can't stand him as the coach of Duke. It's the same thing whether you're talking about Red Sox, Yankees. Like, it's just impossible, impossible for Duke to be likable, ever. I appreciate. Like, what are we gonna do? I appreciate the call. You reminded me of a joke that somebody made one time. I forget which comic it was. I think it was on the Blue Collar Comedy Tour when it was Ron White, Jeff Foxworthy, Larry the Cable Guy, and company. Somebody joked and said, "You know, we don't like Jeff Gordon because he articulates. That's why we don't like Jeff. He doesn't have a Southern accent. That's why we dislike Jeff." No, no, no. The reason you dislike Jeff Gordon is because he beats your favorite racers, but that's one way for Duke to become less hated if they win less. But I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. We can go to Kyle in Burlington real quick before we get move on to other things. Kyle, can you put the genie yeah. back in the bottle, I guess is the way to put it. Oh, Josh, I had all these thoughts and all these things going through my head, and then here comes Colby, and oh, my gosh. NC State, why are you even here, bro? We just had the best weekend in college basketball celebrating a rivalry that needed a shot in the arm. 
every time the Carolina Duke game comes on, you get Eric Montross. You get Tyler Hansborough. This generation needed something for that rivalry. It's a lot like Dallas Cowboys fans, and I'm one of them. Somebody once said that the only reason there are the only the only people that remember why Dallas Cowboys are relevant were alive during the Super Bowl, and that's kind of what the the rivalry with Duke Carolina turned into. Bottom line is, as a Carolina fan, Coach K has nothing to do with the hatred. He adds on to it. He but has nothing like, to do I, with the hatred. Like, he, come on has, now, people has, weren't hating Bill Foster is, like that. If I don't like if I don't like Cheerios or if I don't like Frosted Flakes, it's not going to be because of the Daggum Tiger. <laughs> it's because Frosted Flakes are terrible. They're not match. terrible. I'm just using an example. But George Costanza, it, go out on top. That is an unbelievable line that we might even title the podcast with. I don't. Nah, it's a little too long for a podcast title. I don't hate him because of the tiger. <laughs> That's fantastic. Josh Graham has his own way of speaking. In high school, he didn't play sports, but he did wear a helmet. And just when you think it can't get any worse. My English teacher wanted to flunk me in junior high. Damn. Thanks a lot. Next semester, I'll be 35. Josh is going to attempt to learn B-Dot's vernacular. I'm from the old school. I got a street knowledge. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? It's time. For B Dot's Grammar School. And we're back. Another episode of Grammar School. Um, pardon my voice. You know, it's a little grainy. You sound great. Do I do I sound normal? I feel like, you know, my throat hurts a little pause. You could definitely <laughs> I'm glad you did. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> you sound like you had fun. You I sound like a you had ball, fun. Man, like Bert. Man, I'll, maybe I'll have time before we get up out of here. Just let y'all know some stuff that happened like before the games and after the games. But right now, it is grammar school, all right? I have three words or phrases that I will give to Josh Graham. Let's see. Uh, two of them. Actually, three of them. All three of them are Nolan slang still. I'm oh, still on my Nolan's bag. Now, I might have picked stuff up over the weekend. You may have. And see, see out there throwing buku around to regular people and stuff? No, he wanted, the only thing that I remember hearing Josh saying is, he, we, we were talking to somebody who's like, yeah, um, here's my Wody B-Dot. Do you remember that? Yeah, <laughs> I saw him put a video we up were about on, it. We were on Bourbon Street standing next to them horses that cops were riding on. Yeah, that's what it was. That's the only time I remember. And I was thankful that that was the only time that he used it, to be honest with you, Robbie. <laughs> Moving right along. you, though. Oh, yes. This is season two. So in season two, Josh has a word that is more caucastic or phrase that is more caucastic to see how I do. Here we go. What's the most distinctive bluegrass instrument? The most distinctive bluegrass instrument. Yeah, when you think bluegrass, there's one instrument you should probably think of. A banjo. That's correct. Yes. Yes. <laughs> See, I was going to say guitar, but then I was like, nah, it's a little guitar. It is a little guitar. Yeah. That's the way you can put it. All right, let's get this thing started. Um, How much... <laughs> <laughs> If somebody says they have an elbow of marijuana, Josh, how much is that? Oh, boy. I heard this in in, in Nolans, and I was shocked. He was like, he had an elbow. And I was like, what? Y'all use that down here, too? He was like, yeah. And I, it was just very, very strange. that I did not know that that term was universal. 336-777-1600. Not really my area of expertise. Yo, I'm going to see if Robert knows the answer. Oh, going to go to Robbie. Yeah, Robert. Why you think I would know? Yeah, what is? What are you insinuating? Hail Mary, huh? What are Just you insinuating? Just a Hail Mary, hoping that I can get off on the right foot here. 
Robbie, if someone says they have an elbow's worth of pot, how much do they got? I think elbow refers to L, which is kind of like it would just be a, a, a singular blunter joint. But I think it's a pound. I'm going to say it's a pound. It's either pound or an ounce. So, I mean, we're shooting in the dark here. I'm going to go with pound. Hmm. But you also said a single joint lies in an L. I, I don't be... think it's that. Okay, I okay. don't think it's that. Just, okay, bet. Okay. If somebody was like, yo, I got an elbow, I would not think that they were lacking. I would okay. think that they were packing. Fair, fair, fair. No one's walking around with a pound, I don't think. Like, oh, yeah, I got an elbow. So Scared like, money don't make no money, Josh. You move around with what you got. I, I'm going to go with ounce. You're going to go with an ounce? Yeah. Is that your final answer? Yeah. 100% incorrect. An elbow is a pound. No! Because it's the L and then the B in both. L, B, uh, L, B, I did not I, even think that. I did take Robert's <laughs> advice, though, that it's a pound or an ounce, so I tried to guess. The L, B right there, the pound elbow. I didn't know that they used that down there. That was crazy. Up next, Josh Graham. Woof, and you've used a lifeline. On the first one, Ooh. though, we behind the eight ball here. Woo. If somebody says... Say, bruh. What does that mean in all of them? Say, bruh? Yeah, say, bruh. Huh. Not sabre. Say, bruh. <laughs> what the hell sabre? That's uh, an office. Next week, next <laughs> week on uh, Grammar School. With some office quotes. <laughs> you can figure out what that is. Say, bruh. Uh, can you give me any type of context to figure out say, bruh? Yeah, they would say that to you. They'd be like, say, bruh. Okay, so it's like a greeting. I'm not answering anything else. I'm telling you that that's, well, no. that's how it will be used. They Usually would say it you would give you. me adjective, noun, verb. Or yeah, but that's not. The, you can't give two words, an adjective, a noun, or a verb. It's say bruh. It's the phrase. Say bruh. Say bruh. Yeah, say bruh. Mm-hmm. Say bruh. Say bruh. Three three six. <laughs> no, I don't have a lifeline. Oh, I, you I use your lifeline. You I've did. used the, the lifeline. Uh, I'm going to say Sabra means can you help me out? Or hey, can you help me out? That type of thing. It is like a greeting. What do you say, bro? You want to give us a Sabra? Sabra is a greeting. Sabra means hello. Yeah, like hey. But you didn't say that. You said, <laughs> hey, can you help me out? Sabra is what you say when you're looking for some loose change. I hate both of you. Why? I hate it. Sabra means hello. It doesn't mean, hey, can you help me out? I mean, in the South, it's like, you know how people say, like, what you say? It's an L. Like, we were walking past people, and they would just walk past you. They'd be like, say, bro. Just hit me with the X. Hit them with it. Good job. X going to give it to you. What's the last thing here? The last one you're definitely not going to get. Oh, great. Yeah, you're definitely not going to get it. Um, Bucked or bucked up. Bucked or bucked up. And it is, um, let's see, an adjective. I take it it's not a reference to Uncle Buck or Joe Buck. No, but you would you 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 would get bucked or bucked up. Got you. Yeah. The buck stops here. That has nothing to do with it. Yep. Just spitballing here. <laughs> um, I'm gonna say it's someone that maybe got a little bit. I, I would say getting bucked up is something that happens while you're on Bourbon Street. That you're a that uh, if you. <laughs> Being intoxicated in a no, great way. No, it's not okay. intoxication. Sorry. No, it's not intoxication. You know, it's the three first time I went over three. It is. Bucked up is excited. Like right. we were bucked up to be at the final four. You know, B-Dot's coming. Oh, I'm bucked. 
I'm bucked up. All right. I lost in grammar school. Nolan swag. Nolan's that was all New Orleans right there. Okay. So now let's get to some New Orleans stories here. Would you rather talk about me as a roommate or would you want to get into some of these stories I don't know about before or after these games? You're a horrible roommate. I will go there because you've been talking about it. And I would just like to ask Robbie. Robbie. These are questions. And see, this is the thing. This is what makes Josh a horrible roommate. Okay. He's saying that I'm trying to paint him as a, as a disgusting person. Yes. That's not the case. That's not the case. But as it pertains to a hotel roommate where there are two queen-size beds, right? First of all, my first question to you, Josh, is whose room was it? It was under your name. Whose room was it? It's under your name. It's my room. Say it's your well, room, Josh. It, it was gifted. Like you, whose room was it, Josh? It was under your name. Irrelevant. This is ridiculous. First of all, see that's the problem. So the problem going in is he thinks it's a joint room, and it's not. It's my room that I'm allowing him to partake in, right? Okay. So you have to have some sort of etiquette. You cannot be the first one in your underwear in the room. You just can't be that. I was not. Yes, you the hell you were. You crazy. You were no, first. I weren't. No, I wasn't. I was never even in my underwear. We get first back from, time I saw you, you walked out of the bathroom in your underwear. Josh, when we got back from the from wherever we were that night, you jump into bed with your pizza. You drop down to your drawers. <laughs> you're sitting there with your legs crossed. You're sitting there. That start, was the night after we got in. That was a day no, later. No, no, that was that night. Thelonious. We out. Let's hear the story. Facts. Thank you. So that was first, Friday night we went. First out one and got sitting the there with his pale legs out and his drawers out. <laughs> I'm like, this isn't even his room. I have on shorts that I'm walking around the room in. <laughs> like, Jesus, wow, where is the room etiquette? It's not even your room. Okay, that's first. Second. He's got notes. Yeah, I got notes right here. Second, he took a duty in the room bathroom. And didn't courtesy flesh. Uh, that's not true. It is true. First the of all, the first part's true. The second part isn't. If you have to, there, you have to go to the lobby bathroom if you're in the room. With that some, piece was news to me. The second part. That's what I would do. I would not go in the room while you're in there and go and take a dookie and then not even <laughs> get a courtesy flush. Day of the Duke game. Third, he's standing there in the middle of the floor in his drawers, hand in his butt, <laughs> scratching. Finger up his nose, asking me, can he use my toothpaste? No! No, you cannot! His response, I'll wash my hands. I don't give a damn what you'll do with your hands. Then he's dug in his nose and wiped the boogers on the bed one time. I did not then, do that. Yes, you did. That then, then he Felonious. sat. Listen, fully dressed, fresh off Bourbon Street, in the bed, Heels on, shoes on, heels on the mat, on the sheets. Just, I said, Josh, get your dirty shoes off the, off the, Josh's response, they're going to clean it. Oh my God. Here's the thing. Do I do some of those things when I'm in a hotel room by myself? Yes, absolutely. But when you have a roommate, you cannot do those things, Joshua Graham. I thought we were closer friends than that. And you learned we weren't, buddy. Yeah. Josh said he <laughs> I was talking to Carly. Josh screams out. Dot screamed at me. You're damn right. You're standing there with your hand in your draw, scratching your butt, asking for Colgate. No. Three three six seven 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 one six hundred. I, I think people will defend me on this. Oh, I can't wait. My only question is when he did the uh aforementioned number two. Did he cut the fan on? There was no fan. That's what I'm telling you. Oh, there so, is you, no so fan. you definitely have There's to curse. There's no fan. Blush. 
I did courtesy flush. If that was 100%. a cur- if that was a courtesy flush, my God, you should have run it back. You should have <laughs> run it back. back like Coach Davis and run that thing back. You wait till I I'm, you wait till I find this picture and I'm gonna send it to Robbie of you in the bed with your oh, feet. I, I cannot wait. You I took can, a picture. I cannot yeah, wait. And send it to Carla. It's gonna be on Twitter by the end of the <laughs> no, day. No, it will not. I sent it to Carla. It's not gonna be on. Uh, Twitter. <laughs> I said, Carla, look at Josh. That would be bad roommate etiquette. We could both agree on that. Uh, would that, that would make y'all scratch even, though. It would be like, all right, we're both bad roommates then. Yeah, there. <laughs> there. <laughs> Do you want to get to what? We have a little bit of time. We got two minutes. You want to get to your story before or after the game? On Monday. Are you sure he didn't do anything else? He wasn't like cutting his toenails or anything. No. <laughs> it was the boogers for me. The I, boogers and the butt scratcher. I, I don't I, I deny I deny the boogers. You I deny, deny the boogers? I deny that. Are you I serious? I deny the allegation nah, of no courtesy man. plus. You, I've seen I will you deny pick that. your nose. Thank and hundred percent you were in your underwear before I was. Dude. Those three things I all deny. Hundred percent deny deny. The other stuff's all true. Josh. Everybody's saying you digging your nose. Like but you, you were not picking regular. your nose. You're saying you did not pick your nose with Dot in the area to see you pick your nose. That is a lie. I, no, no, no. It, it did. Not, I didn't put <laughs> it in the bed. He was digging his nose when he was scratching his butt asking for toothpaste. So that's first. God, it'd be a terrible time to switch hands. The, <laughs> the other times when he was sitting on the bed, he just went down and then rubbed it right there on the, on the sheets. That happened. That did not happen. God, I think I'd rather you eat them, man. Don't be, don't be rubbing so them on the bed. So do you got a story do you want to get to from Monday? I mean, it was just fun stuff. Like, are, what do you mean? On Bourbon Street? Not yeah. Like, I mean, after, I mean I just, on, what did you do on Monday? There, Monday, I cried. Monday was sick. Monday, I was so torn because I am a Tar Heel fan. Mm-hmm. Heavily documented, my wife is a Jayhawks fan. So... Although I'm there sad for my team, I'm still sitting there watching the confetti drop and getting video and stuff to send to her so that she can send to her family back in Kansas City because this is a big deal for her. Were you crying in the club when you saw Kansas all on I stage? I was sick. I think that's the part when I was the sickest, man, because I just looked up there and I was like, man, that would have been us up there. I would have had a microphone. It would have been in here teed up. Like, it would have been the biggest Carolina party of all time. I walked up, and it took me a minute to, to put my pride aside and walk in. Cause I was just, it was like three in the morning. I'm walking down Bourbon. I just couldn't sleep, and I was just walking. And um, the dude was like, "Yo, the Kansas team is in here." And I was like, "Man, I don't give a about the Kansas team being in there." But everybody's still just flowing in there, flowing in there. I was just standing. So I walked down Bourbon some more, and I turned around and came back. And the dude was looking at me. And I looked at him. He was like, "Man, just come on in here." Damn it! I went in there. Sucked. This is the drive with Josh Graham. Give it to me straight, Chief. Here we go. Isn't anyone going to say what we all better be thinking? On WSJS Sports. As BDOT calls him, and I agree with it, the legend, John John Dell, from the Winston-Salem Journal, in studio with us ahead of the Masters a couple days from now. We'll get to the golf a little bit later on, but I got to know. See, Dell covers HBCUs, has for a long time. Dot, of course, went to Winston-Salem State, reps HBCUs Yeah, more than anybody I know. Right. So why did John Dell write a story about BDOT, who had previously never been written about mm-hmm. in an article, mm-hmm. and as you described it, you were getting dogged? Yeah, because he hated me. Point blank. Like, as since we've learned over the years, it was a simple thing where he just didn't like me. No, I was the PA announcer for Winston-Salem State. Yeah. 
and it was junior my, year. Junior yeah, year. my junior. I'm in college still, right? So this so, is 20 years ago. Yeah, he's like this is 2004, mm-hmm. and I'm. Uh, it's my first game. I'm super excited, and my job has always been to give us the ultimate advantage. However, I can do that. So when we would make a, a catch, 15 yards, first down, Rams. They would make the same play, and it would be 15 yard reception. And then like they would do something, and I'd be like, catch number zero. But us, I would say the name, of course, what you're supposed to do. So I didn't know the correct etiquette. So the next day, I get called to the chancellor's or to the AD's office, Chico, and he's like, um, they wrote an article about you at the paper. And I'm like, yeah. And I look at it, and it's from this writer, John Dale. And what did you say about me, Mr. Dale? Well, I do remember you making fun of the Catawba cheerleaders <laughs> and how ugly they were. Oh and unattractive. Unattractive, I <laughs> think he said. PA. On the PA. From the PA. <laughs> From the PA. He said, look Could at you, those cheerleaders. Oh, my God. Could you imagine B-Dot is a PA announcer for Carolina basketball? <laughs> look at Duke's cheerleaders, everyone. See, I had to learn, man. But I wouldn't the, do that now. But the hype was great. That's great. That, because the team, I think, was bad. Right. But BDOT made them good <laughs> somehow. Right, right, right. I love this and they so told much. me, they said, listen, we love your energy. If we can keep the energy, but get you to do the things correctly, like say the other team's name, don't make fun of the cheerleaders from the other, things like that, but still keep us engaged, I really think you can be good at that. And 20, what, 18 years later, I'm still doing it. Well, the athletic director, Catalba, called me. Because I knew the guy and said, what was up with that radio guy? It's like, I think it was his first game. Go easy. Yes, please. And then, you know, and then it worked out and, and you know, beat out was, you know, on point the next game. Absolutely. Yeah. Not, I, stuff like that, though, I seriously, I take that very, very seriously. It's, it's my craft. It's my brand. And I knew that even back then. And now I'm still doing that. And now I'm doing it at Carolina as the sixth man. And it's awesome, John. Thank yep. you. For what do article. you make, John Dell, of how this guy's brand has grown? Because... He's told me in private and even said on the air before when he started coming on this show, he wasn't getting a lot of people knocking on his door to do sports-related things. And that was something that you're very passionate about, B. Dot. Yeah. And I remember getting the call from Jones Angel one time before you went on the Carolina podcast. He's like, who, who is this B. Dot? And I explained, he's like, do you think we should have him on the pod? If you were smart and won an entertaining podcast, yeah. and then you went on and, and Carolina fans loved you, you won the potty that they have, that they give out every year, and that kind of allowed for you to walk through the door, and then now look at you. Your Roy Williams is coming up to you in New Orleans and saying, hey man, never take that hat off, that right. type of deal, and yeah. even wasn't it part, didn't you get offered tickets to sit? Close to Roy Williams at the game? Yeah, well, my tickets were good. I was like 10 rows behind coach, but that was good enough. It's like, unbelievable. No, well, it's a good connection. Now, what have you enjoyed about it's, this? It's all hard work. When he came to Winston-Salem State looking for something, right? Right. Found it, had a chip on his shoulder since then, yeah. and was going to make a success of himself. I know I, Stephen Gaither's the same way. Yeah. HBCU, yeah. Tali Carr was the same way. When, I knew these guys when they were kids because right. I'm an old man. So – they, it's hard work, and it doesn't matter what school you go to. It doesn't matter where you've been in life. If you work hard like BDOT's done, you're going to be a success. Let me ask you about A&T, who has in the year span, or I guess this is going to be the third different conference they're in in three years. I've they're lost track. To the what CAA. conference are they in now? They're going to right. the CAA, and we were having lunch with Will Jones in New Orleans this past weekend, and it's something we talked about briefly when he was in studio with us as well. 
just what this type of thing with Hampton and also A&T can do for HBCUs, I didn't realize until I started talking with Dot about it how conflicted the HBCU community was with A&T kind of branching out, trying to branch out the way they are. But the way A&T views it, it's going to be a, a net positive if they have success given the way other conferences have viewed HBCUs largely in past years. Well, I equated a little bit to when App State moved up. When they won those three state Division One AA championships or, or national championships, I said, this is as good as it's going to get at Appalachian State. And I was wrong. So I think A&T's in the same boat. They're trying to find the next big thing. I mean, they dominated the MEAC. There's, there's you know, no way around it. They would dominate the MEAC for years and years. But there's more, and it's about money. And if they can get more money, get more exposure, they're, they're going to they're gonna do it. And, you know, with the MEAC, the latest rumor is Virginia State from the CIAA may be moving to the MEAC. Mm. So they're, they may be taking one of the hardcore CIAA schools. But mm. it, it's about money and exposure, and you get that more at the white conferences. I hate to say that, yeah. but that's true. I mean, HBCUs are trying, and it, it's great because they're getting more exposure, but it's not the same. Uh, see, what, what are you conflicted about? With well, that? the confliction from – and I'm not necessarily conflicted. I, well, I guess I am conflicted, seeing that I understand both sides and the idea that the black demographic is coming from a perspective of time and time again, black people have tried to um, get a seat at the white table to show that they are quality, that they're a quality institution. And that's the reason for HBCUs, why they were founded um, in the first place. And for A&T to be one of the most pivotal HBCUs, one of the biggest, one of the best, for them to leave a conference of other black institutions to go to a white conference is just another ex example of that, that that infuriates an audience. And where we understand that what, and listen, Chancellor um, Harold Martin was the chancellor at Winston-Salem State who put me in the press box at Winston-Salem State. I love that man with everything. Like, his vision is unreal. I, the biggest thing, that, the worst thing that ever happened to Winston-Salem State, not the worst thing, one of the worst things that would have happened is when he left because he was a visionary. So the vision he has for A&T, I love it. But A&T is huge for black colleges. And for them to leave, it just, it, just, it just hurts the conference. Now, how do you get the MEAC? That's what I was asking you at dinner when I was asking Coach Jones. How do you get the MEAC on a level with – the ACC or the CAA, like and like you just said, John, it's the money. How do you get that? But the players have to go to these schools, you know, like what um, Coach Primetime is doing at Jackson State. That's that, that's monumental. Like the SWAC is going to be one of those conferences with him and Maynard and them yep, boys down there. Yep. That's going to be a conference that is going to be battling with the CAAs and things of that nature, yep. you know. And we felt like A&T could have helped the MEAC do that, but they can't do it alone. You know, so, you know, the people that are torn, we're, again, we understand the vision that A&T has, and I support it. You know, I'm full support of A&T and Coach, I mean, um, Chancellor Martin and what they're doing, but I'm just giving you the other side, too, of why there is some, you know, some resistance from some people. Well, and the fans want the rivalry games. <laughs> and Coach said that, though. He yeah. said he was going to try to bring those back, especially I mean, Aggie Eagle, Aggie Ram. you got to have those rivalry games. Yes. I'm sorry. That's what fans want. They don't really – a lot of them don't care what conference you're in. They want to see you play NC Central. They want to see you play Winston-Salem State. Facts. Why is it so important to you, John, to make sure all throughout your tenure you're, you're sticking to covering the HBCUs the way you feel they should be covered? Well, I really liked it. Be I still like it because it's um, you get all the stories. You get all the inside scoops. You get guys had great stories to tell, and no one was telling them. 
And so I, I love that part of it. I remember Gene Downing, offensive lineman, Winston-Salem State. I was doing a feature story on him. He slept in his car for a semester at Forsyth Tech so he could be eligible to play at Winston-Salem State. I'm like, whoa, 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 hold the phone. He told me this as I was leaving. We sat down and talked for another half hour because hmm. that was a great story. He didn't have enough money to rent an apartment. He lived in his car, showered at the Y for a semester at Forsyth Tech to become eligible to play football at Winston-Salem State. Hmm. You don't find that anywhere else. So I, I just always thought that the great stories that are, are to, be to, to be told, and it was, it's been at Winston-Salem State for 20-something years. You I, are a rare uh, talent in that sense, or you have a, a, a keen eye for the story rather than – the comfort of covering things that are a lot easier to cover with things that are being handed to you, like if you were in New Orleans covering the Final Four or going to one of these types of events. It's, I know many folks who prefer covering, and it sounds crazy to some fans on the outside, covering high school sports, let's say, versus covering the major pro or college sports because of those stories that you get that matters so much to a community. Well, plus I'm jaded and cynical now, so I don't need to, any of the pros and all that <laughs> stuff. <laughs> I'm going to tell you something that was awesome on Bourbon. Like, of course, people, they see me and they always ask, did you play ball at Carolina? And I'm like, no, I never played ball anywhere. Did you go to Carolina? They asked like, you that as J.R. Reed and King Rice are standing right next to us. Legit. More people recognize BDOT than J.R. Reed and King Rice. That's real. I didn't even recognize J.R. Reed. I saw J.R.'s face. He looked bummed out. Nevertheless... I'm sitting there telling them, like, but it was dope to say, no, I'm a graduate of Winston-Salem State University, the home of Big House Gaines. Right. And, like, but so many of them were like, oh, Big House. Like, he is such a cultivating figure in basketball. And I forget that sometimes, like, how legendary Winston-Salem State is as it pertains to basketball. Well, and I would brought up, too, I forgot to mention Stephen A. Smith and right. the hard work that he's done to right. get where he – because he started as an intern at the Winston-Salem Journal right. when he was a student. Right. And, it was hard work that got him to ESPN and that $9 million a year or whatever he makes. Yeah, man. Yeah. We got BDOT in studio here. Well, actually, your time in studio coming to a close, man. It's good to have you in here. Always. And next week is going to be your last time in here when Robert Walsh is producing this show. This is day two of the succession plan. Robert trying to pass Oh, my God, it's corn. You got a lot of BDOT in the lot Three three six seven 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 one six hundred. This Ticket isn't about me, in. Josh. This isn't about me. This is about my team, my guys. <laughs> ah, you know, it was like thirteen people there to see Coach Candon when they got back. That was horrible. Dot, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Three three six seven 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 one six hundred. First to call and get the uh, gets the corn tickets coming up. John and I will take a good hard look at this year's Masters, and I'll run a best value bet, a pick. And a long shot that I like for this week, too, here on a Wednesday drive. We're going to be here a while. Would you like to talk? Talk to me! You're on the drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. So we got John Dell from the Winston-Salem Journal in here. Good to have you, by the way. Thanks, Josh. And uh, let me just say, my daughter, Allison, who goes to the University of Lynchburg, just texted me and said, my dad can talk on the radio. How about that? Yeah. She's never See? read one of my stories I've written. Jeffrey Griffin's <laughs> in here, too. And Jeffrey was telling me that your, your kids just obliterate everybody when it comes to sports. Well, I have a theory on that. All right, let's hear the theory, then I'll see if Jeffrey agrees with it. Expose them to everything. Do not put them in one sport only. Trust me. 
it's better that way. Yeah, specialization. I am anti that too. What do you got, Jeffrey? Well, John knows way more than me. I'm all for whatever he says. <laughs> <laughs> sounds sounds about right. So you have a son that's right now at Reagan. Reagan High School, yep. And you had another you had a daughter who was at Reagan as well, yep. who's now in college. Now in college, yep. So this time is slipping away, young Josh. Shout so. out to the Dells. <laughs> all of them. And a reminder that uh Harlem Globetrotter basketball is going to be coming up later up this week. Uh, Greensboro Coliseum on Friday. Just wanted to make sure to work this in because, man, it's pretty cool that they're going to be honoring the late, great Curly Neal. Curly Neal. Johnson C. Smith. Yes. Curly Neal. So that's going to be a pretty cool deal on Friday night when they honor Curly Neal at the Greensboro Coliseum. If you want to go out and see him Friday night at the Coliseum, the Harlem Globetrotter is always a good time. I, I didn't realize that they've been – the Globetrotters been playing since 27 – and I didn't think it was nearly 95 years. And is Curly not from Greensboro? Yeah. Yeah, I knew that. So there is the local tie there. Should be a really neat night. Okay, getting to the Masters. I. Hello, friends. Hello, friends. <laughs> You're going to be there Friday. How many tournaments have you covered? This is this will be my 25th. I started in 1998, the year after Tiger won. Mm-hmm. So Mark O'Meara, that wasn't as, that wasn't as uh, memorable as Tiger Woods in 97, but... It's uh, it's really some, something fun I love to do. It's just a great place. There's nothing like it. Yeah, so you're going to get down there Friday. What's a fair expectation for Tiger Woods this year, you think? Making the cut, I think. Let's, let's be real. He hasn't played a lot of competitive golf. I know that you know he won a U.S. Open on one leg back in the day, but he's 46 now. I, I think making the cut would be a good start for him. But if it's Tiger Woods... You know, if, if he's in the top 10, don't be surprised. I mean, I offered to carry him from shot to shot if he can't walk because I just want to see him play. But uh, he's uh, he's just something that, uh, you know, we it, it won't come along, around again in our lifetime. And it, it's it's fun to watch. That's what I've learned about the greats. Michael Jordan, there's not – people talked about who's the next Michael going to be. There's not going to be another Michael. Mm-hmm. And there's not going to be another LeBron. It isn't to say there's not going to be another great talent, but not – the unique outliers, there's you don't replace those guys, and you're not going to replace Tiger Woods. No, he he just you know Ed Harden, the great Ed Harden, wrote one time, he doesn't move the needle, he is the needle, and you know that's that's how Tiger's been his whole career, and he's just stubborn enough to to win the Masters maybe <laughs> on on Sunday. I mean, wouldn't that be a, a heck of a story? Do you have a criteria? I'm sure people ask you, who do you think has a shot at the Masters? Do you have a criteria that you look at for looking at a field and figuring out who might have a shot? Well, I kind of look and see recent success is one of my things. But the one guy that stands out to me is Justin Thomas, who we forget has not won a Masters yet. And I just think that this this might be his time. His best friend is playing Tiger. You know, one of his best friends is, is playing is in the field. I think that that rejuvenates Justin Thomas to win this thing. I just think that's one of the storylines is. You know, Jordan Spieth has won one, but he hasn't won one since, you know, 15. So I just think Justin Thomas is the guy that's at the top of my list right now just because you forget he hasn't won yet, and I think his time is coming. It may be Sunday. See, it's crazy you bring up Justin Thomas because I have a criteria to narrow down who's going to win, and this is that criteria. It starts with top 12 in the world golf ranking, 15 of the last 22 Masters champs, are in the top 12 of the world golf ranking. So you're down to 12 already. 
winning it multiple times, really hard to do, especially repeat winners. So had, had, as much as Matsuyama was great last year, I can knock him out. Tiger could probably knock him out if right. you're looking at what's realistic to win this year. And Dustin Johnson. Though, Tiger's the only one in the field that has won this event multiple times since Phil Mickelson's not in the field this year. Bubba Watson's won twice, so that's another another guy. So I, I'd, I'd knock those guys out. Right. Uh, uh, namely talking about the top 12 right, is what right. I should say. Okay. Uh, and then... This is a, another one that I'm just adding in for this year. I think you got to be older than 25 because the tournament, you were there the last couple of times. The one in November and then last year. This year is going to be the real thing, right. and it really wasn't the last couple of years. So a guy like Colin Morikawa, I worry about that. And Scotty Scheffler, the number one player in the world right now, I worry about that too, especially with some of his accuracy numbers. That's a problem, I think. Same thing with Victor Hovland. Uh so, younger guys, 25 and younger, I knock them out. That leaves me with Rom, Cantlay, Cam Smith, who's a trendy pick. I like staying away from the trendy picks. Sorry, Cam Smith. Justin Thomas, Rory McIlroy, Xander Shoffley. Xander felt like he had his shot last year. He's not my guy this time, even though I think I've picked him like three of the last four years. I'm a big Xander Shoffley fan. He, he's your Gonzaga. Yeah, that's my <laughs> Gonzaga. Uh, John, John Rom. Can't lay. They've cooled down a bit since yeah. they were really hot last year. That leaves Rory McIlroy and Justin Thomas. And earlier, I took Rory. And you've got Justin Thomas. So it probably won't be neither one of those guys. But <laughs> I digress. I mean, you know, Will Zalatoris. Oh, it's going to be the final group. Will Zalatoris, the Wake Forest guy, finished what second year last, last year. year. Yeah, and but like you said, there were no fans or, or limited fans. So. It's going to be a different vibe. With I mean, it was I was out there uh, Sunday, Saturday and Sunday for the women's amateur and the drive putting. I couldn't believe how many people were out there for Saturday, Sunday. Previous, you know, th this week, just how many people were out there because people can be out there now, and it was just wall to wall people for the drive putting chip. I heard it was a bigger crowd than they've seen in decades yep. with yep. Tiger out there. The practice round gallery I saw today was spectacular. You would have thought it was. Thursday or Friday. Well, you got your inner voice. You're talking about practice, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, John Rahm is the betting favorite, 12 to 1. 13 to 1's Justin Thomas. I like McElroy, who comes in at 19 to 1. That is my pick, but I don't think it's good value to pick a Masters winner unless it's 25 to 1 or greater. So, you get the actual value should you pick. Right. the correct winner in this tournament. Right. So this is what I call my best value. 25 through 50 to 1 odds, finding somebody in that range who might be in that category. And the name I, I fell on was at 48 to 1, Louis Oosthuizen. Louis, a good, he's, he's always there. He's in contention. He's, I mean... Top three finishes in four of the last five majors. Right, right. and he's... He's always there. He's, I mean, he's like root canal. He's, you got to have him. I mean, he's so he's, you know, I think he, that's a good pick right there, and that's that's a really good value because he doesn't disappoint. He's top five every year. It seems like Tiger's at fifty to one. Man, I, I might have to call my buddy and that's put what I'm some saying. money down. <laughs> you 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 put ten bucks down on Tiger. You made you made five hundred dollars if Tiger Woods wins the Masters. Wow, that's I'm, that's Tiger Woods still. Right, right. I mean, you, you know, and he's. 
you know, he's done it before, obviously. And now he played in 2020. People forget he won in 19, but I think, you know, he played in 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but, but still, I mean, he's Tiger Woods. So 50 to one, I might have to get some of that action. It is crazy to think the last time this thing felt normal, Tiger Woods was winning right. the Masters. Yeah. That's, that's crazy. What do you remember about that tournament? Uh, just the overwhelming feeling of he's going to win this thing. On Sunday? On Sunday when he put it on the green at 12 and everyone else was, you know, knocking out of the water. Drink, yeah. I was like, oh, my gosh, he, he's going to do this. And it was it's just unbelievable. It was like the Avengers. If you go back and watch it, you just see all those big names at the top of the yeah. leaderboard. Of course, Molinari was right there at the top. But aside from that, Everybody kind of made an appearance. All the top names were there, and Tiger won. I, I don't think it gets greater than that. Yeah, that was that was something else. And as you know, like they said, one for the ages. I mean, that was that was special. So a long shot, a hundred to one or greater, throwing a name out there. I'm looking at some of these here. Webb Simpson, a hundred and thirty to one. Cameron Young, around one forty. You know who I'm going to throw out there? Playing in his first ever Masters because he cracked the top 50 on the world golf ranking, Harold Varner the third, you can get at 160 to one. East Carolina's own. That's it. Harold throw, Varner. Throw $25 down and you make 4K if Harold Varner the third, the pride of Gastonia from East Carolina University winning the tournament. It was funny. Uh, some One of the reporters asked him earlier this week, uh, Harold, what do you remember about 1997 in Tiger Woods? And I'm like, well, I was seven, he says, <laughs> and I didn't watch it because I was seven. <laughs> so he, I thought that was a great answer. He's but one of my favorites. Yeah, Harold is a great guy. A Wyndham championship favorite. I mean, when he comes out and he's in contention, the fans just flock there. I mean, so uh, that'd be great if Harold uh, could, could do something like that. I, I might put some money on Harold, too. 160 to 1. That's that's my long shot, giving some love to East Carolina University. So you've got Justin Thomas. I'm rolling with Rory McElroy, and we'll see what happens in the Masters that starts tomorrow. Safe travels to Augusta, and we have to do this again. I really do appreciate you dropping in, John Dell. It's been you know a few years yeah. we've been doing this, close to four years, first time we got you in studio. Well, now that I've been here and go through the maze, it's a lot <laughs> easier to get here. But um, no, thanks for having me on, and uh, continue good luck with your show. That is John Dell. Read his stuff in the Winston-Salem Journal. You already knew that, though. Or... Robert, did you did you send out the tweet? Did you send out the tweet? Oh no! Oh, is that the big I head? I dropped the ball. The big head. Yeah. The ball that is the same size as John Dell's head. I'm going to be completely honest. I would have never started these jokes if I knew how thick of an individual you are. <laughs> John Dell walked in here and he was almost so wide, like from his lats, that he could not fit in the door. He had to slide through the cracks. <laughs> Got to keep lifting weights. I, in shape, yeah. so I'm, I'm serious. Do I, we want to let people in on this joke? How did it start again? Uh, okay, so here's what happened. Uh, something with Twitter, sometimes it will zoom in on pictures, and sometimes it will not. And one time I put it up, and it zoomed in on John Dale's picture. It's headshot. It's just his headshot. So all you see is his dome in the picture. And Josh is like, that looks a little closer than usual. And somebody tweeted, look at those eyes. Yeah. <laughs> and then ever since then, I have slowly zoomed in closer and closer <laughs> to that picture. Eventually where his head <laughs> took up the entire space. Just want someone, one person to comment, why did you just post a picture of John Dell's forehead? <laughs> 
I'll do it. I was a little uh, late, but hold on. I'm going to do one in honor of this. That's fantastic. So awesome. you can find that at WSJS Sports on Twitter. I have a pain in my ear. And what is causing it? The Drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. Adam Gold going to be here in five minutes. Our midday host. Lover of golf. Follows the Carolina Hurricanes closely who are approaching their fourth consecutive Stanley Cup playoff appearance. We'll talk to him about that and perhaps about John Shire and Duke too because now that Hubert Davis has gone to the Final Four and to the National Championship game and just in the last hour or so has named the National Sports Media Association's Big House Gains Coach of the Year Award. Pretty cool, by the way, given that Hubert was born in Winston-Salem and Big House the legendary Winston-Salem state coach. Congratulations to Coach Davis on winning that award. But considering what Hubert's done in year one, the question now becomes, can John Shire match it? Can John Shire even reach the mark? I think he can. The infrastructure is so important when you talk about taking over for, air quote, the guy. The instances it hasn't worked. Let's look at college football. Justin Fuente taking over for Frank Beamer. It's a complete upheaval of what came before in favor of something different. It's different assistants. It's different support staff members. That's the biggest mistake Matt Doherty made when he took over for Bill Guthridge. He decided he was going to bring in assistants outside of the Carolina family that he worked with at Kansas and at Notre Dame rather than keeping Phil Ford on staff and keeping some of the other Carolina assistants there who understood how things were supposed to run. And it really cost Matt Doherty. In other examples, where the infrastructure has been held intact, let's just look at college football again. Look at the success Ohio State's had. Do you think they're missing Urban Meyer? No, because it's the same recruiting director, many of the same assistants that are now working for Ryan Day over there. How about Oklahoma before Lincoln Riley left the USC? Bob's dude sleeves, but... You still got Joe Castiglione as your AD, and you still have many of the same assistants. It's the same machine that's pushing forward, just a different name at the top of the operation. Hubert Davis, he relied on the culture. He had the Carolina family. And John Shire has the Duke Brotherhood that Coach K created, emulating what Dean Smith had. That's what the succession plan was all about. I like that Trogi is now on this staff from Elon. I love Nolan Smith too, don't get me wrong, but I just think it needed some head coaching experience. Jeff Lebo was important for Hubert Davis this year. An unsung hero on that staff. And I think Mike Trogi can be that, helping John Shire along with some of the practical functions of being an assistant. John Shire has a better foundation for talent than Hubert had this past year. Think about this. For the first time in North Carolina history, since they were playing, since they started playing the McDonald's All-American game, North Carolina did not go back-to-back years without a McDonald's All-American. Until now. John Shire 
has three of the top five players according to 24-7 and four of the top 13. Three of the four of those guys, they play in the post. It's going to be one of the scariest front courts we've seen in years. And if Jeremy Roach returns, which I expect him to, then this is probably going to be a preseason top five team. And they have a rare chip on their shoulder too, which you don't always get with Duke. But losing to Carolina twice, the manner in which they lost to Carolina, that's bound to motivate them. Just like losing at the buzzer to Villanova was fuel for the entire season for North Carolina in 2017. So Hubert, yes, has set the bar. No question about it. But I think John Shire can meet it. I think he'll have more talent on his team than Hubert had this past year to try and meet that. Adam Gold now joins us on Twitter at AGoldFan. Listen to the Adam Gold Show, noon to three, right here on WSJS Sports. But I'll put it to you, AG. Given what Hubert just did, what's a fair expectation for Shire in year one? I don't, I mean, I don't think it has anything to do with Hubert. I mean, what Hubert did is what Hubert did and was amazing. You know that's not how this rivalry work, works, though. People, the, These are measuring sticks. Wow. They're spotters for each other. People look at what they do against each other and how the other does as models of what's successful. That's the measurement, right? I, 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 don't, I don't think in this case. I mean, if John, if, if, if they win uh, 29 regular season games and win the ACC because they have the best team and then, you know, get to the Elite Eight, I mean, is that a bad? Is, is was not as good as Hubert? I, I, I'll answer I that. No, it's that. not. If you don't get to the Final Four, it's not as good as Hubert. No, no, I'm, I'm not. I'm not saying that it is, um, but I don't think that. Well, he's not as good as Hubert. Look, the if we want to do rivalry stupid, then fine, we can do that. Sure, but. I don't. I'm not. I'm not going to participate in rivalry stupid. Then, hey, fans I, I will tell you. Stupid. I will give you an I, example I of rivalry stupid. I'll give you an example of rivalry stupid. The idea of eternal bragging rights. If if Duke sweeps Carolina next year, and they say, "Well, we won in the Final Four, I got an easy retort for you, Duke fans. Why are you talking about old stuff? That that wasn't even our coach. Look, right, but. Um, I will give. I will see. To me, that's not rivalry stupid because those are the two greatest single wins in rivalry history. It's it's the it's the ace and king of spades, uh, and that's fine. But like comparing one team to the next or one coaching performance to the next, like nah, man, I'm not I'm not here for that. Um, right, first of all, we have no idea what it's going to look like. Um, I, and I think John Shire, all of John Shire's pressure and measurement comes from within. I don't think it has anything to do at all with Hubert Davis. I think it has everything to do with following the, the most difficult act in the sports history. John Shire needs to make Duke basketball normal again, in my opinion. He needs to be more accessible than Coach K has been. I think in addition to that, like... There's no reason why Duke basketball should be as hated under John Shire than it's been under Coach K. Well, why do you think it was hated under Coach K? I think in addition to the winning, there was this perspective or there was this perception that Coach K gave off that he was above a lot of things, such as something as simple as a halftime interview. 
All the other coaches do it. Coach K yeah. doesn't. Coach K doesn't do local radio shows. No, he's going to do his show on Sirius. He's not going to do the. He's not going to be as accessible or as available as Roy Williams and Hubert. You know, you're not going to see as much right. of him. So he might be seen as this guy who sits in an ivory tower. That's kind of like this overseer king type figure for college basketball. As, as my uh, as the great philosopher Jules Winfield once said, allow me to retort. Sure. Um, for about 10 years or more, probably, um, Coach K was incredibly accessible. I mean, maybe it was just to me. I don't know. Um, but I've spent time in his sixth floor office, which, by the way, he's keeping, which might be a little bit of a problem. Um, the, I mean, I've sat in while he was doing his radio show. Um, so I've never had a problem with accessibility to Mike Shashevsky later, yeah, when there was USA basketball and all of that, and you could tell that he was winding down and and kind of thinning out the obligations because the the, the serious show took uh, took some time. But um, there was always the one the one sit or two a year uh, that he would do with us. And as much as I have total respect for Roy, Roy was not as accessible as that when Roy first got to Carolina. Um, and it was harder because you couldn't, none of Roy's assistants were allowed to talk. I want to read, like you, an, I want to read you an excerpt on this topic because I don't want to get sidetracked from it. From the but, Michael but Rosenberg. I'm not saying everyone is right or wrong. I'm just saying I think that, uh, I think the perception isn't necessarily the reality. From the Michael Rosenberg story that SI wrote today. Adam Gold's joining us, by the way. Noon to three, you could listen to him right here on WSGS Sports. And I found this part interesting. Shire's going to report to Coach K Court. Students will presumably still camp out in Krzyzewskiville. And then it says in parentheses, alternative, quote, Chi-Town cracks John Shire, the Chicago native. We're going to have one person that wants to go to Chi-Town, end quote, in parentheses. From a distance, replacing Krzyzewski seems impossible. Up close, it looks harder. Shire must fill more than Krzyzewski's job. Somehow he must try to replace his presence. And you talk about the sixth floor office the entire deal. I think this is going to be a fascinating piece. How much of the atmosphere okay. changes at Cameron? Do you do you change every time we touch and get some ninth wonder or fat Joe in there? Do you do you mess with any of it? Is it Chi Town over Shesheskyville? Look, I actually was thinking about that the other day. Do you have to take the sign down? Um Chi Town's a better name. We can agree with that, right? Uh yeah, oh yes, absolutely. Um Look, there are immense challenges. Uh, this is the, the 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 most giant oak tree uh, hovering over everything in the history of college basketball. The only thing that would have been uh, you know comparable to this is what Gene Barto had to deal with following John Wooden, uh, and it sent Barto to UAB. Uh, so, like, I don't envy that aspect. Uh, it will be up to Mike Shashevsky to either completely stay out of it, um, and I don't know that he will. I really don't know what the dynamic is going to be, but it's going to be hard. The shadow is gigantic. Um, so best thing for John is to win a bunch of basketball games, and people won't talk about it, but um, it's, it's not going to be easy. That's the, that's the least, attractiveness, uh, least attractive part of the job. Getting to the Masters, how many players can win this tournament this week? 
One. That's a great answer to that question. How many do you think are capable of winning this tournament? One. How many guys do you like? Uh, who do? How many guys do you like their chances of winning the tournament? One. Man, this this is going to be great. Okay. <laughs> uh, look, there's a the, the the answer to your question is there's probably more players who are uh, who it would not surprise me if they won the Masters this year than maybe ever because I think the the field of guys who haven't won yet is enormous in terms of being ready to do it. Um, I think I read that the world's were, top 10 has not won a tournament. Going into the year, what the world's top 10 rankings were, none of those guys have won a tournament this year. Going into t- 2022. Going into the year. But now we know that uh, there are Sheffler. a bunch of guys in the top 10 uh, that have won. Look, I think there's a ton of guys who can win it. I really do. Um, but I have singular focus on Charlie's dad. Uh, and that's what I will be watching starting tomorrow at 1034. Gosh, I, I'm going to try and tape out the whole show so I don't uh, <laughs> curse on the air when he makes birdie. <laughs> so there are three guys I really like. I, I, I try to put together like a criteria of things to try and narrow down the field. And it's right. Morikawa, it's Thomas, and it's Rory McIlroy, the three that I really like this week. And my concern with Morikawa is that he has not played in this tournament when this tournament is right because his first start was in November a couple of years ago, yeah. and last year wasn't a full gallery. So I'm down to Thomas and Rory, and I just randomly said, I think I'm going to go Rory McIlroy, the way he's off the um, the radar a bit. John Dell was in studio with us last hour, and without knowing what I thought, he said Justin Thomas, he felt, was had the best shot at winning it. So those two I really like a lot. Who does Adam Gold like? Well, Morikawa was my pick to win. I How think about he's that? The best world. Um, so I don't think he, you, you don't have to be a great putter. You simply have to be a great iron player and leave yourself in the right spots. I think he is as good at that as anybody. I think he understands uh, the, the way to play the golf course. He doesn't understand it like Tiger does uh, or like, honestly, like Rory does, although Rory has had very little success lately. Um, but I like Morikawa to win. Uh, I think Joaquin Neiman is a guy to keep an eye on. But, I mean, the the usual suspects are not – I mean, Scotty Scheffler's the best player in the world, number one, but he's playing like it. Uh, I think Sam Burns is a really good pick uh, because he's long and he's he is a great putter. Uh, there are so many good players right now. John, I mean, how do you not pick John Rahm? JT is amazing. Um, so, look, there's so many guys who can win, but only one guy who deserves to win, and that's the guy who hasn't played a competitive round in 18 months, who birdied five of his last six holes the last time he played. Enjoy the golf this week in AG, and uh, also, hopefully the next time we speak, the Carolina Hurricanes will have clinched their fourth consecutive playoff appearance, which has not happened in their history. It's crazy. Never happened before. AG? You come in on this show. That has happened before, and I hope it happens again next week. I'll be here. You have my number. There you go. That's Adam Gold on Twitter at agoldfan.
You can listen to the Adam Gold Show noon to three on WSJS Sports.